1: none of
2: my children know yeah you know I work very hard to make sure that they don't know um of course you know my biggest fear is that one day they'll somehow find out but I go to a lot of effort so that they, they don't
0: know welcome to the deep I'm Zoe Marshall in my early 20s a lot of traumatic things happened And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Kelly bravely reached out to me to share her story on The Deep. She's smart, considered, and honest. She's also a heroin addict, a highly functioning one. This is a story about being trapped by addiction, navigating life, and raising children while under the hold of heroin. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Kelly, you have, I guess, identified as a functioning heroin addict. Correct, I have. And, um you actually reached out to me, which I was so glad about. So thank you for doing that. But can I ask initially why you feel it might be important to share your story?
2: I think that there's probably two things. And the first was that um, my situation makes me very isolated in terms of not being able to share um, that part of myself with, with anybody in my life. And so I think my first thought was that it would be potentially cathartic, you know, to be able to to have a conversation around uh, around my use and around how that you know affects my life, and just just to be able to talk about it. Um, But Mm. I think the second thing was that when, and then when I thought about it, I I really thought that it was important, or, or that maybe something I wanted to do was to show that drug users are people too right they're just people like anybody else where we're certainly a lot of us you know um do criminal activity but but you know many of us don't you know we're parents we're mothers we're co-workers we're you know we're, we're people and we're good people like anybody else um and I think that you know certainly one thing that I've found in my life is that One of the reasons I'm isolated in this situation is that you can't share this situation with people because they freak out, you know. I've lost friends over the mere knowledge, you know, that that I use. I've lost family members over that knowledge. Um, And maybe that's something that I wanted to articulate because I I feel like if anyone is wanting to cut someone out of their lives just because they – have an addiction issue um, and that's the sole reason then then maybe you know I'd like people to reconsider that
0: because I think we have an idea of what an addict looks like as a stereotype and you know meth has taken kind of a center stage but heroin and heroin addictions I mean my visual is you know um, people that look quite emaciated, um, that look desperate, that look, you know, perhaps unkempt. They look unwell, you know, and they look feverish and hungry for the next hit. You know, you'd see them in an alleyway or you'd see them under a bridge or something. You know, it's kind of that stereotype of someone shooting up heroin and passing out and, Um, chasing the next hit. And then we speak to you, even just the couple of minutes that I've heard you, you are kind of smashing that stereotype apart. I hear an intelligent, articulate, together woman. So is there a spectrum when you're looking at addiction?
2: Yes, certainly. I mean, it, it you know, it can be all the things that you said, at, well, you know, that, that you envision when you think about it. Um, it certainly can be that. Um, and certainly in my life there's been times, you know, where it has been that. But there's there's that spectrum of it, which is I think people who are probably not in a place where they're on any sort of pharmacotherapy. So they're in a place where if they don't have, the drug, they do get incredibly sick and incredibly desperate and, you know, it's it's the worst feeling in the world. So, you know, you can't even imagine it. And then there's people like myself who are on a pharmacotherapy program, which means that I take um, a medicine, essentially. That means that I don't go into withdrawals. Um, and so the purpose of that is really so that you can function normally and that you can have a normal life and you can go to work and you can not... You know, need to be in a really bad place if you can't, you know, get the drug essentially. Um, and and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that there's a lot of people out there uh, who were who were in that position, uh, but you don't mm. see them and they don't talk about it. And you know, but it's it's really interesting. You know, if you know the medicine that I obtain, I, I get from a, a chemist, obviously. When I go to the chemist and in that line, I see a lot of people that look like me, a lot of people around my age, which is interesting, um, but also a lot of people who have clearly just come from work, a lot of people with kids. Yeah, so I think there's, there's most definitely a spectrum.
0: Mm. And that medicine, is that a, a methadone?
2: Yeah, so there's two types of medicines you can take there's a methadone and there's also a Suboxone. And essentially, they, they do the same thing, but they come in slightly different forms.
0: Okay, so let's go we'll we'll revisit that, but let's go to the point where you started your addiction. how old were you how did it how did it start?
2: Uh, I was probably about twenty or thereabouts um, I had been a teenager who had definitely you know experimented with with drugs and things like that um, and essentially I had some friends who, who were using it and I was certainly a curious type so you know like, like everyone I'm, I'm quite sure that I thought that I'd be able to try it and, and that would sort of be it and it was for a long time and, and it usually starts out that way. Um, so yeah this was back in you know this was a while ago I'm, I'm sort of you know 50 or thereabouts so this was in the sort of early 90s or thereabouts, Um, and it was very trendy then, you know, the whole everything then, you know, musicians were taking it openly, you had Kate Moss, you had a, a whole, you know, model sort of scene that was called or fashion scene that was called Heroin Chic, so it was sort of quite ubiquitous and it was sort of everywhere and it was quite hard, I think, to not come across it or to not know people who uh, mm. you know? Who who took it? And so it really started there. And I think like like everyone, it starts as it starts as a bit of fun on the weekend, you know. And it tend and you tend to keep it like that for quite a while. What I think tends to happen to most people is that then you know you just have it too many days in a row. Um, you might you know be on holidays, or you might binge for a particular reason. You might come into some money, whatever the reason is. And it doesn't actually take particularly long if you're using it daily uh, to get a physical addiction. And that's that's essentially when the problems start.
0: And so that, that period from when you were 20, how long did that last? Did you detox or come off it at any point?
2: Yes, yeah, certainly. So... That period didn't last very long. That I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't very long. It was probably um a few years, I would say. And yeah, I I, I did come off it. I went on a um pharmacotherapy program and went to, uh, and essentially, yeah, came off it and was off it then for a very long time. So in the preceding years. You know, a lot of things happened. Um, I was off it for a long time. I, I was working, as I do now, I just living life, you know. I did the things that most people in their sort of 20s and 30s do, built a, you know, bought a house and all of those sorts of things uh, and was really quite sure within myself and if anyone had asked me um, that, you know, I would never go back there I was absolutely you know I knew that I knew that in my bones Mm. and it didn't end up being the case.
0: Can I ask you in that time where you weren't using were you happy? Yes
2: yeah I was as happy as a person you know I mean you know like I think everyone has ups and downs but yes is the overriding answer.
0: You were enjoying life without using there wasn't a need or that kind of undercurrent of a yearning, I guess. There was none of that for that time.
2: Oh, look, um, not really. I think from from time to time there was, but literally, you know, maybe once a year or something like that, you know. Um, no, that, that said, though, I think there's a part of my personality that I, I sort of, I don't know how to describe it apart from as being a consumer and I don't mean a consumer of goods. I mean a consumer of things, you know, or, or, or substances. So, you know, throughout that time I didn't take that but I, I smoked a lot of pot and I smoked cigarettes and, you know, so I think there's, there's, there's a part of my being that um, was always feeling like it needed to do something in that mm. sense. And uh, so there was a yearning for something but not specifically that.
0: What was then the trigger to go back? It surprised me. It
2: surprised me the way that it happened. Essentially, um, and what I found later was that this is actually really common but I, I would never have known it. I split up with my partner and that was a lot more, I don't know, Traumatic, I suppose, is the word than than I ex would have expected it to be, I suppose. It was certainly the first time I'd I'd been through through that. When that happened, all of a sudden I really did have a yearning for heroin. And it was almost immediate. It was almost like something goes really badly wrong in your life, or what you perceive to be really badly wrong in your life, and that that upsets you, you know, on an emotional level. And it was almost like I immediately went for the crutch that I'd used before, regardless of the fact that it had been over a decade, you know, in between since I had last used. So, yeah, and that uh, I think, you know, that being in a bad place and sort of one of the things that heroin does, I think, is that it, puts you in a place where you sort of don't – it's like you don't feel pain. It is actually a painkiller, but but I'm talking about emotional pain, you know. I'm talking mm. – it, it, it somehow sates that in a way. You sort of forget about it for a while and I think that that was the sort of attraction and that's what – yeah, that's what sort of kept me doing it um, after that event happened. <laughs>
0: Because I would assume being out of that crowd for as long as you had been, do you even know where to get it again? Like do you have to go, do you call your old dealer from back in the day? Like how do you go about it?
2: Well, that was sort of a really, you know, it, it was actually also probably a circumstantial thing because if I hadn't, so, so what happened was I lived in a particular area um, and I had a friend that I, well, not even a friend, someone I knew that lived in the area, and I suspected that they used, I could sort of tell, but I, we'd never discussed it. Um, but had that person not have been there, had I not had a way that I knew to go and ask this person, um, you know, to, to get some for me, I would probably, I wouldn't have pursued it because you're right, I wouldn't have known where to get it from. I would have been too scared to, you know, try and get it off the street or anything like that. So that was sort of really circumstantial as well, and I, I truly believe that if I hadn't have had that connection, it probably wouldn't have happened at all.
0: So how many years are we now from that time to now?
2: Close to 20 years now.
0: I'm assuming the initial hit is very intense, right? Um and you can take little bits, and then you eventually need more and more and more. That's correct. Yeah. Do you have a rock bottom with this? How does it manifest?
2: Look, I think I think you certainly can. You know, I, I think that if you, in terms of sort of. Uh, getting a tolerance and then needing more and more and that being very expensive and, and that creating a snowball effect. I think that's very much what happens to people if they're not on any type of pharmacotherapy because you, you will need more and more um, to sate the physical symptoms of withdrawal. You will need more and more, therefore, to even first sate that and then even get any sort of effect from it, any sort of you know, buzz, for want of a better word, um, and your time, in the, your time that it lasts will actually become shorter and shorter too. And so people who aren't on any sort of pharmacotherapy do need to progressively get more and more and more, and there will come a point for most people that that's just not affordable, and that point will come pretty quickly, right, because it's not, it's not sort of inexpensive. Um, And that's why, of course, most people who are in that position need to turn to some sort of crime or prostitution or or dealing or something like that uh, Mm. to be able to to fulfil that. Being on a pharmacotherapy program, um, I'm not in that position. So I certainly have a tolerance because I'm on a pharmacotherapy program that I take daily, but there is, you know, an amount I can – that I can, you know, be happy with, and I can sort of leave it at that. I I don't use daily. I consider myself an an addict because I need to use in terms that I still do, but I don't need to use daily, and I don't use daily, so I manage to keep it at a specific level.
0: If you're doing pharmacotherapy, is that a choice that you eventually choose so you can manage? taking heroin without the the come downs Is that like, is there a turning point that you go, yeah, so heroin is just not going to work for me. I need to balance it with Pharmaco?
2: I think most people go on it um, for one of two reasons or both. And the first is, yeah, to absolutely not have to go through withdrawals and to not have to be in a position where, you've got that desperation and that absolute need above all other things to, you know, to, to, to score. But it usually is used, at least initially, as a way to get off heroin. So it's supposed to be really something that you take in place of heroin and then you taper slowly off that um, mm. until you, um, you know, obviously are, are off that as well. And that's really, you know, the idea for most people what ends up happening for a lot of people though is that they keep using as well and so that ability to taper off really never comes because if you start tapering off then you will start having albeit very minor but you you know you will start having some sort of withdrawal symptoms so a lot of people are on methadone for a really long time because they're either using as well Um, or because they find it difficult to get off the methadone, which a lot of people don't, but a lot of people do.
0: So what's your circumstance? You take the pharmaco every day Mm -hmm. and then you have the heroin, would you say, how often a week?
2: Probably four or five days out of every week because that's essentially what I can afford.
0: I'm not even trying to teach people how to do this, but I just am trying to get my head around it. You're, you're doing the pharmaco to feel no or, or are you addicted to it or are you doing it to feel no come downs and side effects?
2: So you are addicted to it. You're def- you, you, you're, it's, the pharmacotherapy is an opiate just like heroin is an opiate. So your body is addicted to it and if you were to stop taking it, you would be really, really, really sick. But if you keep taking it because it's long-acting, whereas heroin is not long-acting, um, if you take it every day, at the right dose you won't have any withdrawal effects, whether you have heroin or whether you don't have heroin.
0: So it's keeping your like equilibrium balanced and then you'll take the heroin. Is is that um is that a high? Do you get a high off the that now? Or have you been using so long now it's not as potent? Um it's
2: definitely not as potent and that's one because of using for a long time, but it's also mainly because of the pharmacotherapy itself, it's sort of a bit of both. Um, you get a tolerance to it, um, and so yeah, you you there there is a, a you can't really feel it as much as you would um, possibly if you weren't off the pharmacotherapy. But it's certainly true of, of heroin in general that um, once you take, you know, once you get a tolerance, you you never really. Get the same sort of feeling off it that you did, so certainly initially, um, you still, unfortunately, or 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 not feel it enough uh, for it to sate the part of you that is wanting it. Essentially,
0: you still do feel something. Yes. Yeah. What is what is the feeling like?
2: It's really hard to describe, but probably the best way I can describe it is that there's a feeling of wholeness. It's sort of like there's a part inside and it's sort of in the stomach region, it's really hard to describe, that almost feels empty most of the time and then when you take that, it feels full. And at the same time, there's a, a, a relaxation, there's a loosening of the body, there's just a, a relief sort of but even mm. and that's even if it's not an addictive relief it's not that you've been sick it's just like there's something missing and you've replaced it for a while
0: how much do you spend a week would you say are uh, thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a week and then does the pharmaco cost you as well
2: Yeah, so that's relatively um, reasonable the government sort of subsidized that so that costs dollars a day for most people.
0: And a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars is is really a lot of money, isn't it? Yes.
2: Yeah. It is a lot of money. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to be in a good job and I earn a reasonable amount of money. I earn enough that I can facilitate that. Uh but I can facilitate that only by going without a lot of other things. You know, I I don't have Holidays are uh, really often. I don't buy things that other people would buy. You know, um, there's there's a lot that doesn't happen because that happens instead.
0: Do you feel like you want to stop?
2: Yeah, I do. I, I do feel like I want to stop. I am um... interestingly because despite that, despite the fact that there's. My life would be a lot easier if I didn't use and despite the fact that I do miss out on a lot um, because of it, there isn't a sort of desperate need to to stop and I, I, it's sort of hard. It's really hard to describe. There's one part of me that desperately wants to stop and wants to be able to do the things that you can do uh, when you're not spending that amount of money, which would be a lot of things. Um, but, but yes, look, honestly, there is another part of me that doesn't want
0: to for sure. And what's the reason there?
2: I don't know. I I honestly don't know. I mean, it it would be easy enough to say that, you know, I couldn't say, oh, I like it, but I don't, I don't know. I think that there's something deeper there. I don't know if it's a psychological addiction yeah well I I, I don't know
0: do you have a partner or children and if so do they know um
2: I don't have
0: a partner currently um but I do
2: have children none of my children know yeah you know I work very hard to make sure that they don't know um of course you know my Biggest fear is that one day they'll somehow find out, but I go to a lot of effort so that that they, they don't know.
0: I'm assuming then that even when you are using, you are still coherent. You're still, you can still turn up for the children.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, certainly one thing about having a tolerance of any type is that you're not feeling it as much, so you're not actually also. Looking like you would if you were really, really stoned. For you know, to to describe it that way. So you you feel mm. it a bit, and you get you know enough, uh, sort of feeling off it. But you're certainly not. I I don't ever like. I, you know, one of the classic symptoms of people taking heroin is nodding off. You know, sort of falling asleep a little bit. I don't do that. Um, I there's you would look at me, and you would speak to me, and you would just you'd never know.
0: And does it affect you physiologically? Like, um, does it affect sleep? Does it affect appetite? Does it affect your body, um, your organs? Have you noticed anything?
2: There is definitely some things, you know, that it does. Um, and one of them is, and this is not a pleasant, you know, thing to talk about, but it is just a major thing that everybody gets. So it's like a constant sort of constipation, which is not pleasant. Um, you also have other than that not really. I mean heroin itself is a quite a clean drug. It's what it's cut with that harms people generally. It's not, not the heroin itself. The heroin the most it'll do is, you know, it'll addict you but it won't sort of harm your body. Um but what it what it's cut with will harm your body. I, I luckily haven't ever had any problems with that sort of thing, but I do or I have in the past known people who have had a lot of problems with, you know, vein issues and things like that. I maybe lucky in that respect.
0: Where do you put it in your body? Into my veins in my arm. And could anybody tell, like, if you wore a short-sleeve T-shirt?
2: Um, I have a really pronounced scar that is there, um, so I always use that scar. So because the scar's there, you can't really tell because there's already this huge scar there. Anyone who knows me knows, you know, has known that their scar, that scar's been there for years, so it doesn't look any worse than it used to look. I get funny looks about that scar at work sometimes, but it's a scar, it's not sort of... Um, crick marks or anything like that. Certainly if I used anywhere else in my arm, I would, I would have more telltale signs.
0: Have you or do you y- use at work? No, I have,
2: absolutely. Yeah, I definitely have. I have um, had dealers come to the back of work and the front of work and drop things off. I've most definitely done that. I don't. I tend to manage it a lot better now, but it's also just access you know, if if my dealer happened to be near where I worked, then I'd probably get it there because it'd be easier. If my dealer lives near where I live, then I'll wait to get home because I'm not in that sort of desperate place where I can't wait to get home. Um, so it's more about accessibility and yeah.
0: And so are you generally using at home? Generally, yeah. And is that kind of when the kids are out or when the kids are asleep is it a specific time of day or is that just whenever
2: I'll always usually get it when the kids are out um I mean you know usually you know not always and I will usually have it while they're out but you know being perfectly frank, yeah, no, there's definitely been times I've had it when they're at home.
0: And there's never been a moment where they've gone, Mummy, oh, Mum, I found this thing. What is this thing? They've never, there's never, you've never slipped up?
2: Not yet, not with my kids. Um, I have slipped up with other people. Other people have found things, you know, partners and and friends. but not my kids. I keep everything in a locked box. Um, it goes straight back in there and gets a lock on it as soon as I've finished. Um, so no, not yet, but I do say yet because it's probably likely to happen, unfortunately.
0: So is a big part of the addiction the secrets?
2: I think that's a huge part. and it's And that's the part that, you know, is sort of that's the part that really isolates you you know and I, I think the part that I find sort of difficult is that the necessity to have secrets is is what isolates you um, and even though for me I feel like my drug use is quite a small part of my life it still necessitates these secrets and those secrets create a barrier and they just do they just create a barrier whether the person on the other end knows that there's secrets or not. And, and that's really, you know, that's really isolating. Um, I think that for me, you know, one of the things that I noticed when I relapsed years ago having been clean for a long time is that I honestly thought that the people that I knew that loved me, that had known me for years to be an upstanding citizen and a normal person and a good person and a trustworthy person, I stupidly thought I'd be able to say I'm going through a bit of a hard time. I've relapsed, but the reaction that that got, you know, not you didn't. I didn't do anything to these people. I didn't steal anything off them. I just told them that I was relapsing. The reaction that that got was so severe and so full of fear and hatred and judgment and and abandonment because a lot of people just sort of disappeared that. It made me realise very quickly that if you're going to do this, it has to be a secret. You, you you can't tell people. And that that's really isolating.
0: Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah. Because perhaps it would have been different if you had some support or if you had someone new. Mm, yeah,
2: maybe. I think it certainly would have helped.
0: Do you think it would have gone this far?
2: Possibly not. I, I can't say for sure, but possibly not. I certainly look, I, I I think that if I really think about it, I think that one of the reasons and I it's just, I think it's a vicious circle, right? I think it's self perpetuating. I think that one of the reasons I use is because I feel isolated and alone. And then that I and, and then I create that isolation by, by using. So yeah, I think very possibly it could have been different. Or it might
1: not have gone as far. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
0: And what about your immediate family? Have they over time noticed the shifts in you that you don't want to be around as much or that you are keeping more secrets or you are isolating more? Have they reached out to, to... to you because they've seen changes?
2: So the changes sort of happened, So you know, when when I relapsed the changes happened in quite a pronounced sort of way, you know, and and everyone knew that I'd relapsed and that was uh, so they probably understood why the changes had happened. But then probably things never really sort of went back to normal and I think it sort of created a sort of new normal, if you know what I mean. So I think, that, mm. I, I think that my family believe what I tell them, you know, which is that, you know, I, I'm not using, but I think that they also suspect that I may be and I think that they notice things and that they notice that I've never got any money and that they notice that, you know, they notice things and so I think that um, they definitely have reached out and do reach out but it's that sort of uh, I know what's going to come if I tell the truth and that's, you know, and I don't, it's never good, right? It's never good. As much as they want to support you, it's, there's a lot of other negative stuff that comes with that and and. It's really hard for people to understand. It's it's really hard for people to understand. People's immediate thought or people's immediate assumption is that you're going to die, for one. You're going to steal from them. There's a whole bunch of things that they think that might not be true, right, and in my case aren't true, but... That make them worry, and that worry makes them panic, and that panic makes them, you know, um, makes it makes it just difficult. You know, there's so yeah, uh, you know, they they want to support, but certainly my family anyway aren't great at doing it in ways that are palatable to me. I suppose
0: mm. it sounds really complicated, and I'm I'm thinking of those potential parents or even people that want to support someone with an addiction and just mm. don't know how. Because I think they're all, you know, they're relevant, all those points that you made. Like my initial instinct is like, oh, yeah, the stealing. Like I didn't I didn't even think of that, but I was like, oh, yeah. That all feels quite terrifying um, for someone that doesn't use drugs that may know someone that is. What is it that you might want to tell somebody to help them understand and how they could actually help?
2: I think one thing to remember is that everyone's situation is different, you know, and there will be, there will be cases where people that you love, that you want to help, are doing things that are, you know, dangerous or, or they are stealing from you and they are doing things that are really hurtful. Certainly, that happens, and it happens all the time, but I think it's probably also I think what I'm trying to say is to judge people on how they show up in the world, you know, don't judge them on what they're putting inside their body, judge them on on what they're doing and if they're not stealing from you and if they're not hurting you, you know, and maybe the worst they're doing is lying to you a little bit because they feel like they need to you know maybe try and put that into perspective um I think also. One thing, and this sounds really counterintuitive, but one thing I would say is that if you are dealing with someone who is in the throes of an active addiction and they're not on any pharmacotherapy and they won't go on any pharmacotherapy, which a lot of people won't, um, and they want money from you, I'll be perfectly honest here, like I would say give it to them Because, and I know people can't do that forever and I know they can't do it every day, but if, you know, there a lot of people, the reason they get into bad situations is just because they don't have the money, right? Like they would never do prostitution if they had any other choice. They would never do crime if they had any other choice. But they're so sick that they need to get that money and they are going to get it one way or another you not giving it to them is actually not going to stop them getting it it's just going to mean that they have to get it by some other route and i think that can be really dangerous um i used to work for a guy for example who used to pay me daily because he used to know what i spent it on and that was and that was the best support i could really have at that time because I am one person who was really lucky and that I'm probably the only person I know from the days when I used to be around people who used, which I'm not anymore, I don't know anyone, but in the days that I did, uh, I was probably the only person I knew that as a woman had never had to do any sort of sex work, um, had really never done any sort of crime, um, and it was because of those sorts of reasons, right, because I'd had jobs where I could earn good money or where people would pay me often. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's another thing. I think also try to separate the person from the behaviour, like if they are stealing or doing or, or whatever the behaviour is that you don't like or don't appreciate or want them to change, try and separate the person from the behaviour and try and support them in a way that's, not judgmental try and not make the message you are a bad person because you do this you know what you are doing is doing bad things to you you know and so I want to help you in in that way and I think that's really hard
0: just on the give the money part because my instinct as a parent is like hell no, I'm not giving you anything. (laughs) I am taking you to a clinic. (laughs) I am forcing you. You know, that's my initial reaction that I'm sure so many people listening would feel, right, because that's, the like you said, it's counterintuitive. Is it, because, like, this is big, you know, is it possible to say to them, I get that you're in the throes of really heavy addiction? And I know that you will do anything to get this. And I don't want you to put your life in danger to get this, right? So here's the thing. I can give you X if you agree to come to treatment. Would that be an option? Because I just think throwing money at them in the throes of heavy addiction wouldn't necessarily be helpful I know none of it's that's none of that's really helpful none of that's getting them out right
2: Mm. yeah no absolutely no I know exactly what you're saying I think that I think that you're absolutely right I mean I think so if the question is how do you help someone out of it then I would say absolutely like definitely try and take them to a doctor and get them on a pharmacotherapy program because that For a lot of people, that works and that's fantastic. And I think the beauty about that is that it's relatively easy to do, right? Or it takes a day. All you've got to do is go to a doctor who is a prescribing doctor. You've got to go to a chemist. You've got to get a prescription and you sort it out. And that allows you to deal with the mental aspects of the addiction whilst you're not having to deal with the physical aspects at the same time. And I think that's a really powerful way to do it and it certainly worked for me like when I got off it the first time that was exactly how I did it Um, and that's really relatively easy to do. Taking people to treatment is a lot harder than it sounds so you've got to get into a treatment first they usually have quite long waiting lines. Um, If you have private health insurance or if you can pay for it outright you can get in a lot quicker than that but if you're someone who doesn't have private health insurance you will be at the mercy of the government institutions which have really long waiting lists and so you may have your child in your hands and you may want to take them to treatment right then and there and you just can't. And so I suppose I'm really talking about those in sort of the instances where someone might be in front of you and they might be really desperate and they can't get into treatment today and they're really feeling sick and they're about to walk out the door. And they're about to go and do something else to get it. And you know it's not going to be good because it's the middle of the bloody night and they don't have a job. And you know what I mean? Like I think I'm I'm sort of talking about those really desperate circumstances more than um, something you would do all the time or every day or as a way to support Mm. that person, I suppose. But equally that doesn't solve the problem the next day or the next day or the next day. So, yeah, I mean obviously getting them into some sort of treatment is, is the option.
0: And this is an interesting one. How would you feel if your children wanted to try it or were taking it?
2: I would feel i'd feel incredibly sad because um I would be really worried that they'd die because you know I've certainly known people that have died um, i don't know how I'd handle it. I think that I would probably talk to them about all the things that I had seen, you know, and all the things that I know about how it does play out and I would probably try and appeal to the child in by talking to them about how I used to think about it and what I used to think about how, you know, I'll just try it and it'll just be fun and I'll give up and, you know, like just, just the things that you know um, can happen. Uh, I would probably, and I mean I'm just going to be honest here, I would probably request, if I thought that they were going to do it, that they do it at home where I know they're safe, you know, mm-hmm. and where I know that I can help them if something goes wrong. Um, But, you know, I would have to, you know, they'd have to, I would never suggest they do that, like, to try it. Like, if I knew they were doing it already anyway and I couldn't stop it, then I would want them to do it at home. But, um, yeah, no, it would be horrible. Like, you know, there's not much worse that, you know, that's like a parent's worst nightmare.
0: Do you think there'll be a time where you want to be honest with them about your experience to deter them?
2: Yeah, I do, and I, I I, think that's a really hard one, you know. I, I think that's a really hard question because it can go one of two ways. It'll either go that it will deter them and that they'll think, wow, that's, you know, I don't want my life to be like that and I actually have insight into how this can play out that I, has really put me off. Or it could do the absolute opposite and it could be, uh, well, you know, my mum did it and she's okay. She's got a job. She's got a house. She, you know what I mean, like. And yeah. I've done both as a teenager, right? Like I smoked, and I could. Oh well, my dad's fine, and he's not sick, and you, you know, like I, I think it can go either way. So it's a it's a difficult one, but I think that on balance, I would probably rather um, be honest. And I also think that that's just the sort of relationship I try to foster with my children, anyway. And so. Mm-hmm. It would be really difficult for me to have them find out, you know, to, to, to try and have this honest discourse our whole lives and be very much a household where the line is, if you tell the truth you'll never get in trouble and then have them find out some other way and I hadn't told them. Have you
0: ever overdosed and, like, come close to death?
2: Um yeah I I have when I was younger I only have once um and I was it was when I probably had first started and I'd been drinking a lot and the one thing you should never do is mix heroin and alcohol because they both depress the respiratory system um and apparently uh yeah apparently I had it and passed out um And I'm really, really lucky that I woke up because my friend at the time told me afterwards that he was going to just drag me out to the street and just run because he was scared that if he rang the ambulance, um, you know, that the police would come and that he'd get in trouble. And people know better than that now. Like I think most people that use now know that that won't happen, right? Like the ambulance is not going to call the police, they don't and that's the reason why they don't because no one would bring the ambulance otherwise. But, yeah, that's what would have happened. Luckily I I woke up
0: pretty quickly. That is horrible. That is horrible. Did you wake up to your friend telling you that he was planning to do that?
2: Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. I, I, I remember I was pretty lucky because. I had vomited because, you know, it can make you sick when you overdose. And uh, luckily I was on my side because if you're not on your side, you can choke on that, which is just as bad. And that, I think, sort of woke me up or something woke me up. Um, And, yeah, when I woke up, that's pretty much one of the first things he told me, yeah.
0: Do you have friends, just everyday friends that don't use? And do any of them know?
2: No, I I well, I mean I do have a couple of really old dear friends that do know and they probably don't know it's entirely as regular as it is but they do know. And then I have other newer friends that
0: would be appalled. Mhm. And do you long for a partner or are you feeling quite content at the moment? Ah uh, Oh, look i I no, I do long for a partner
2: i I am lonely i I'm, I'm definitely lonely. I think for a long time, I was sort of happy not to have a partner, and I think that was in you know a rea- I think it was two things. it was a reaction to being sort of you know hurt before and not wanting to go through that again, but it was also. Um, just the knowledge that you know, I wouldn't really be able to bring anyone into my life in this sort of circumstance, and and nor it just wouldn't happen, right? Like it hasn't happened. Like I haven't met anyone. I don't mm-hmm. go anywhere to meet anyone. I don't get introduced to people. It, it just doesn't happen, and it's not going to happen while I do this. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. Yeah, I would like it though. Right?
0: So you, it, it sounds like you are missing out on a lot of life is that something that feels have you just come to terms with that have you just accepted that
2: no i haven't accepted that i i i, I definitely that's yeah i haven't accepted it in that that's not how i want it to continue right like i haven't accepted that this is what the rest of my life's going to be um, I mm. definitely haven't accepted that. Like, I see my future as being different. I see my future as making up for a bit of lost time and having the things that I haven't had and enjoying life more as a result. Um, but honestly, there is also a part of me that feels like every day longer that that doesn't happen. Um, is possibly getting close to that not happening as
0: well. Because what would happen, like if you don't choose this, right, if you don't choose to stop when you're ready, what happens if you lost your job or if you didn't have that extra 1500 a week? What would happen? Would you just commit to the pharmaco?
2: Yeah, I'd have to. And that's what I've done before. Like I've been in positions where I've lost my job. And I've been on, um, you know, benefits and obviously you can't afford that sort of thing when you're on benefits. So, um, yeah, I would commit to the pharmaco and my usage would drop dramatically, you know, probably next to pretty much nothing but, yeah.
0: And so knowing all of this and and having the children and, You know, I'm sure that that then extends to them missing out on things like holidays or whatever it is. Do you feel a level of guilt that you can't maybe just pop off up the coast and make some memories with them or do something like that?
2: It's an interesting question. I mean, I go... You know, I make sure that my children have the things they need. Uh, they do have holidays. They do go places. They they do do all those sorts of things. They they might look very different to what they would otherwise, you know. They're not overseas holidays and they're not, you know, private schools and all that sort of stuff, which it might be otherwise. Um, but they certainly have what they need. But do I feel guilty? Yeah, absolutely, because... Of course there's things they miss out on. Of course there's things they miss out on that they'd get otherwise Um, and that we do otherwise and that, you know, I would be in more of a position to, say, take them to more places where we could make more memories. So, yeah, absolutely, I do.
0: Have you heard about, um, like, say something happens to you and you have an accident and they need to operate, right, certain anesthetics won't work or could potentially kill you if they if the hospital wasn't aware of your drug use like does that has that ever happened to you have you ever had a moment where you had to reveal your drug use or it it was dangerous for you in a circumstance because you were a user
2: i actually didn't know that that was a case so that's Quite um, disconcerting, but um, has that ever happened to me? Not, not, not like that. I mean, I think that the only thing that probably was maybe a bit similar to that is that when you're on um, pharmacotherapy for a long time, you um, your body stops creating endorphins, and so your natural pain killing responses. <laughs> Uh, greatly lessened. Um, And so when I had my children, um, I had to, I was very lucky to have very good doctors um, who understood uh, addiction and understood pharmacotherapy and understood how that all works, who ensured that they prescribed me um, reasonable and adequate pain relief um, after caesareans. Um, I certainly know that if I had not had that, I have a friend who um, had a child and was actually addicted to methadone at the time Um, and because she had nurses who didn't understand this in the hospital after she had a cesarean, they refused to give her any pain relief because they erroneously thought that, she would get addicted to it, which is sort of ridiculous and any doctor who knows what they're talking about won't do that, but these nurses did. And so I don't know if you can even imagine having a caesarean and not being allowed to have any pain relief, but it was pretty horrendous. Um, so I made sure when I was having children that I had good doctors, but I was I could because I had private health insurance. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't
0: Wow. Were you using through your pregnancies... Yes. Was that um, worrisome?
2: It was, I mean, I I was always concerned that my children were going to be born addicted and I can't imagine what that would have been like if they had have been. Um, I took you know, I mean, it's. It, 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 I was because I was on pharmacotherapy anyway. There was always the possibility that that could have happened anyway, um, whether I was using or not. Um, it didn't worry me in other ways. Like I wasn't worried about anything else happening because I know enough to know that that was probably the only possible outcome. Um, but, yeah, that worried me a lot and, I mean, the thought, and particularly now, like I knew so little about it then, but, you know, I know a lot more about it now having read a lot more about it and um, I just would, you know, it would have just been horrendous for them and I would never have forgiven myself if, you know, and, and there's a part of me that feels a lot of guilt for even though it didn't happen, there's a part of me that feels a hell of a lot of guilt for even putting them in the position where that may have happened because it would have just been so horrendous for them. I mean, if an adult can't handle withdrawal, how on earth is a little baby supposed to handle it, you know? Um, the other side of it, though, is that when, you, I mean, not that this this is not an excuse um, or an explanation, it's just what it is. Um, when you're pregnant, your body creates a lot more blood And when you have a lot more blood going through your body, the pharmacotherapy that you're using needs to be increased quite substantially, you know, to to work essentially. And if that isn't increased substantially enough, um, then you will go into withdrawal symptoms. And it's actually worse for the baby to be in any sort of withdrawal symptoms than it is for you, you know, to, to top that up with a drug. And I think that that's essentially what I was doing. I wasn't. Getting enough uh, of the pharmacotherapy, despite asking the doctors, but I think they felt I was on enough already.
0: Because it it would seem that, you know, if a pregnancy couldn't deter you or start, you know, um, I mean, as you said, it's dangerous for the baby. But if that couldn't potentially be a trigger to want to stop once the baby was born. Do you feel like there is hope to stop just on your own terms?
2: Yeah, I do because I think that people go through different periods in their life. People are different in different periods of their life. People can and do change all the time in different ways. Um, And I may not have, and obviously wasn't, you know, ready then, but um, I hope to be and plan to be ready, you know, at some point. And I don't know what that will take, but I think that one of the things that I know that my friends that do know that I still use say they admire about me is that I always keep trying, you know. I always keep trying mm. to, you know, I go to counsellors, I go to programs, I, go, I always keep trying to find that thing that will click into place, you know, that will um change the trajectory because of that I think I I have faith that that will change one day or or soon or whenever but um so no I don't think that just because I couldn't do it once doesn't mean I can't do it again Mm.
0: I really just appreciate your honesty because I know this is a very big conversation um that does hold a lot of preconceived judgments from people and I think hearing you articulate it all so honestly will help. And I also open up our eyes that there are functioning addicts everywhere around us and that's not necessarily with heroin but with any kind of substance, even pharmaceutical substances. So I think it's about... Taking the blinkers off and knowing that if you do come across somebody potentially that wants to be honest with you, that you can have that you can be in a place where you can hold the space for them and not run away and not judge them. Because that's what I'm learning from you is that's something that's really important to an addict if they are going to be honest.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's key.
0: Mm. Can I ask you? Are you um have you used today? Uh, no,
2: and the only reason I haven't is because I don't have any money to. Uh, otherwise
0: I wouldn't. Okay. okay. So there's plans that's there's plans in the next couple of days.
2: Ah uh, yeah, for sure.
0: Can I ask you our final question that everyone gets is Kelly, who are you when no one's watching?
2: Wow, I don't know how to answer that. Um, my first response was going to be sad, so I'll go with that. I think um, to, you know, elaborate on that, I think that, you know, there's a certain amount of, I don't know, bravado that we all put on the world, um, and obviously... You know, we all have that, but I think there's also, you know, I do feel very isolated and I do feel all the things we've talked about. I do feel guilt and I do feel worry and I do feel all those things. So, you know, that culminates in probably, uh, you know, if I am being honest about when I don't have to, you know, go to work and pretend that everything's perfect, yeah, I would
0: say sad, yeah. Thank you for being honest. Sure. And thank you for sharing that with us today. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at Deep.